Well, whenever we do premarital counseling, I always start by asking that couple why they want to get married. And it's fun because they tell each they tell me about why they love that person and they want to spend their life with each other and have a family and all those things. And I'm like, okay, cool, but you don't have to get married to do that. And they're like, well, yeah, but and they kind of stumble through why, right? And they're, they're kind of thinking through, and it's, kind of, and it's really mean, actually, on my part, because they're like, what is this guy doing to me? Um, but the hope is to push them a little bit deeper and to think, because think about the actual why. Think about what is being offered in that, in that covenant. And this is, not a, this is not a sermon about marriage, but the point is, if we don't know the why, sometimes we just do things because that's what we're supposed to do. We just go through motions and we forget the why. And so... Um, we want to take some time each, each year as a church and talk about why we do this thing. Why are we here? What are we doing? What are we hoping to accomplish? What have we been commanded to accomplish? And so that's what we've been doing the last few weeks here at The Journey. Uh, because, much like marriage, if we're, if we're not clear about what we're doing, what we're called to do, why we're here, then we will just go through motions and we will forget and we will get off track and we will be susceptible to some of the things that Paul is warning us about here as he writes to Timothy. So um, we spent the last couple of weeks talking about the first two sections of our, of our um, mission statement there, or our, our tagline, if you will, love God, connect people, transform the world. Uh, today we're going to begin two-part series uh, on transform the world. What, is, what does that look like? And so um, a church like ours often gets misunderstood, uh, and I say a church like ours mainly meaning um, non-traditional um, and, and we, uh, you know, not legalistic by most people's standards and those sorts of things. Sometimes we can get misunderstood um, because, you know, people will, will think that the way that we present that, um, the way that we talk about, hey, you don't have to have it all together, the way we talk about, uh, you know, what's up and, and those sorts of things, I'm not in a suit and, and that sort of stuff, that, that can lead to some licentiousness from folks because they're like, oh, this is a place that they're not all about those rules. They're not real religious. They just let me come and, and you know, make, make me feel good with, with a word. And then, you know, I can, I can kind of live my life and do my deal. And, and, and so uh, there's always a risk whenever we, we say our, our welcoming spiel about, hey, we're flawed and imperfect people. We're not here because we got it all together. That that actually leads to permission for some of you to just continue uh, and even embrace your flaws and your imperfections and not strive toward holiness. And so there's this, there's this tension that, that, that we run into with the gospel that it is 100% okay to not be okay because that's exactly who Jesus came to save. Amen? We talk about that. That's, that's exactly like the people that the world had written off as hopeless, that's who Jesus comes to spend time with. The people who thought they were, you know, in God's good graces, and they were, you know, they, they, they kind of deserved. Like, it, the people that thought, like, if, if God walks in the door, he's going he's gonna to choose our table. That's the people that Jesus actually went the other way from. And he, and he called them out, and he's saying, listen, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. Just like a doctor, I, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so it, it absolutely is okay. We want to make that clear. We don't want anybody feeling like they need this compulsion to pretend when they come in here. Because if you feel like you have to pretend that you have it all together, then you'll miss out on the opportunity to admit that you don't and receive his salvation. And so we want to be clear about that. But then once we are saved, there's this beautiful 
reality that it's not just about being forgiven and then waiting until heaven. That that the, the Bible speaks of a believer, the life of following Christ. Jesus himself tells us that that to follow him means that we will pick up our cross daily and follow him. The Bible speaks of, of our faith being one that continues on and is a transformative. It speaks of Jesus' people being changed. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18 says, from one degree of glory to another, that there's this progressive, what, students, help me out, y'all been studying Philippians, there's this progressive what? Sanctification. Can y'all say it again? Students, y'all in here, you've been learning about sanctification, Right? Like, that is this idea that we are becoming more and more and more like Jesus over time. So the way we summed it up last week is we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Okay? When you confess Jesus as your Savior, boom, you're forgiven, you were made righteous, you forever are, are put in a place of positional salvation. That it can never be taken from you, your sin will never be held against you. So you're saved from the penalty of sin. And then we are being saved over the, life, uh, over the rest of our life uh, uh, from the power of sin. Have been saved from the penalty, are being saved from the power. And then one day... Uh, and our glorification, either when we die and, and, and go to Jesus or when Jesus comes back to us, we will be saved from the power of sin in glorification. And so justification, sanctification, glorification. Y'all feel like you got your money's worth? There's a lot of big theological words for you today, okay? Justification, sanctification, glorification. It's this active process. So what, all that to say, it, like we, we believe at the journey that the primary need that people have is to, know, is to be known and, and saved by God. And then secondary to that, and even a part of that, part of the salvation that he offers us is, is to be restored to one another, to be known by a people, to be connected, to be known and have a people and a community to walk life with. But then that, that's not even complete, to be fully in the, the, the process of being saved, to, to really receive the joy that he has for us. We need to have a purpose. We need to be on mission. We need to be transforming the world. But that world actually needs, starts and, and is fueled with us personally. And so we need to be transformed, and we need to know that we are being transformed. And so next week we'll talk about what does that look like in the community to live on mission. But today we're going to talk about what does that look like to, to, to actually do that within ourselves, personally and corporately. And so, as I said, a, a church like ours can get misunderstood because they can say, oh, that's a, you know, that, that, that church is... You know, they, 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 don't, they don't care if you drink. They don't care, you know, like they, they're people, I've heard some people say some cuss words. Like, they're, they're not real religious or whatever. And then, you know, we get people coming from a fundamentalist background or a legalistic church, and, and they, they find a lot of freedom in that, and, and that can get misconstrued. There's a, there's a danger, there, there's a risk in that. But here's the deal. That tension actually isn't new. It's exactly what Paul is speaking of here in 1 Corinthians 4. So let's look together at this passage as Paul is, is writing to a young church leader uh, to, to teach him how to, that he should live and how he should teach his people and model for his people to live in the midst of chaos and confusion in a culture. How do we follow Jesus in the midst of that and not get uh, swayed into either licentiousness or fundamentalist theology? Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to move quickly through verses 1 through 5 and then really settle in on the last couple of verses uh, for some application, or at least that's the plan, so y'all can pray for me. All right, it says, uh, Paul says, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, people are going to depart from the faith, okay? So he's saying, God has already told us people are going to lose their minds, they're going to they're depart from their faith, and listen to how he says they're going to do so. By devoting themselves to deceitful teachings and teachings of demons, 
Okay? But listen, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, there's going to be plenty of people who walk away from a genuine faith, from the, the Christian faith. Okay, if they were truly believers and they walk away, you know, they, that, that's, a, that's a season of backsliding. They'll be brought back. If they walk away, uh, you know, and they appear to be a part of the church, then, then John says that just proves they were really never actually a part of the church. So that's, a, that's another doctrine I don't have time to fully unpack today. But what Paul is saying here is, listen, you got people in your church, people that have come to hear you preach, Timothy, people that have come to, the, to worship at the church of Ephesus, and many of them, they're going to leave. They're going to go on down the road to another church, to another group of people that are teaching a different gospel, that are teaching other things that are more in line with what they want to hear. They're going to leave the faith. they got itching ears. They're going to go find somebody who will scratch it the way they want. They, they've got to find somebody who will speak the message that they want to hear. So he says, don't be surprised by that. You, you know this is going to happen. And listen, he says, some people are going to leave the church because of the teaching of demons. Now, this, you need to be clear, because this is not teaching that comes through the Ouija board stuff. It's not teachings that comes around a, 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 you know, a fire with incense and some, some witchcraftery. Like, this is, this is what, he, what he says is teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So it's going to be normal people who have got a seared conscience and just want to profit off of the preaching of of, of, you know, some religious word, right? Their consciences are seared. They don't actually care about people. They just want to profit off of people. And so they will teach, that demons will use them to teach their ideas. So you're like, okay, well, I didn't really think I was susceptible to de- demonic teaching, but like, if it's coming through people who appear to have a sense of religion about them, maybe even standing in pulpits, uh, in churches, like th- this is this is a different deal. Sometimes we get. I- I've got a few emails in the past that sometimes people aren't real comfortable with us calling out false teachers and preachers that that are in our world today. Like, uh, and, and and but here's the thing. We do that not for fun. But we do that because a we believe the Bible does that. Right? You'll see Paul name specific false teachers in his writings. Right, because if they're actually false, they're dangerous. And if they're dangerous, people need to be warned, right? And B, because of this, because we need to understand that some people aren't actually preaching the gospel, even though they're a pastor or whatever, they're preaching something that's really harmful and dangerous. And so we want to be careful about a prosperity gospel. We want to be careful about a church that never calls you to repent of your sin. It always just gives you feel-good sermons. We want to be careful about that because Paul says it's actually inspired by demons. If it doesn't lead you to Jesus, if it doesn't lead you to repentance of your sin and a trust in Jesus, then you should be skeptical of it. You should be concerned about it. And, and Paul's saying that, that, that happens. Okay, but listen to what the demons are, listen to what they actually end up teaching because it's not, you know, it's not like they're, they're slaughtering chickens out in the, in the backyard and pa- painting their face with the blood. What's the, what are these demons actually inspiring? He says, the, these, these people that are teaching this, they, they, verse 3, forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. So part of what demons want you to believe is actually legalism. They want you to think that you need to earn your salvation by doing stuff or by not doing stuff. They want you, like, and this is just, actually, here's the deal. They don't actually care what you believe as long as it's not the gospel. Satan and his demons don't care what form of false teaching and pursuit you take. As long as it's not Jesus, they're cool with deceiving you however they can. But one of the ways that they will get at religious people is by saying, hey, you know what you really need to do is 
If you really want to be holy, you've got you to be single. And, and they'll, they'll twist Scripture, just like Satan did in Genesis 3. They'll say, well, well, Paul, you said, Paul said, like, I wish that everybody was like me, because if you're single, you can do more ministry. So you need to get divorced, or you need to avoid getting married. You're engaged, you need to break it off. Like, they start twisting these things. They start twisting God's word. Or they start saying, you know what, you, you, can't, you can't enjoy this food. You can't enjoy that drink. They start adding on, uh, you know, they start saying, you know what, you, you can't drink. You can't be a Christian and have any alcohol. Like, that, that's, that's wrong. If you're going to be, really be a Christian, you can't do these things. You can't. And they start adding on these things. And Paul says, listen, that's demonic. Because what that does is just what Micah said earlier. It takes the focus off of the gospel. It takes the focus off of the truth that we cannot save ourselves. It doesn't matter how much we deny ourselves, how much asceticism we just sink in and we are just deprived and we're holier than anybody else. We say no to any indulgence. No, that doesn't lead to holiness. That just leads to grumpiness. He says, listen, if God has said it's good, we can enjoy it. We shouldn't be dominated by it, and that's another sermon, but we can enjoy it. So people who are condemning things that God has said is good, those, that, that's demonic teaching, and you need to be careful, and you need to fight against legalism. Legalism is the idea that, we, yes, you know, we, should, we should trust in Jesus, but then we've got to do all these things. We've got to have all these rules. Legalism is the idea that we earn our righteousness by what we do and what we don't do. And it's anti-gospel and even demonically inspired. So, so we need to push against that, and we need to be clear about that, and we need to fight against that. Because he says, listen, if things are given by God, we need to be able to enjoy them. So right there he's saying, Christians, like, you can enjoy a good meal. You can enjoy a glass of wine. You can, like, you can enjoy marriage. You can enjoy intimacy in marriage. Like, these are things given by God, said they are good, and you don't have to deny them. Okay, so, so there's that. He's addressing that, that, that idea that some of you have been driven here because, you know, you grew up in a church that, that wouldn't let you enjoy any of those things, right? You couldn't dance at your wedding and things like that. Like, and some of you are here because of that. Paul is affirming that. But he's going to go on to say, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a posture of pursuing holiness. That doesn't mean that we don't care about how we live our life. He doesn't say, hey, because God th- said things are good, you know what? Just go do whatever you want. He doesn't say that. Okay, so how do we create a culture where people are set free from legalism but also continually and, and voraciously pursuing holiness. How do we do that? It's a tension, isn't it? He goes on to say, here's the deal, Timothy. Put these things before the brothers. Say it. Just call it out. And you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ, verse 6. Being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Okay, so he, he's telling this young pastor, he says, listen, just, just preach the word. Put the, like, just call it out. Where you see it, call it out and call people. No, no, you can't enjoy that. Don't, let it, don't be mastered by that, but you can enjoy that. Like, call these things out. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ, trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. Right there, we see doctrine matters. We need to know what we believe. It's not just, well, whatever, God made it all good. We just get this, you know, willy-nilly faith that's, you know, we don't ever call anybody out. And listen, this is, this is the new legalism. It's being flipped. Because in our gen- my generation, it's no longer like a pressure to, to have all these rules about what you do and don't do. It's actually a pressure to not have any rules. It's this pressure that if you go to a church that says anything is wrong, well, that's, the, you know, that's not their place. 
This is my business. The church should just be encouraging you. The church should just be, you know, affirming you. God loves. Why don't they love, right? And we get this distortion of of the gospel. We get this distortion of what's actually supposed to be happening. And so right here, Paul says, no, no, doctrine matters. Train yourself in it. Know what God has said and what he has not said so that you can instruct people to, to follow him accordingly. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Don't let your time and focus get distracted by other theories, other, uh, you know, worldview ideas. Like, it, like, don't get caught up in trying to become an expert on the, 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 the newest, you know, theory that's coming down about justice or about this or that. He said, no, no, don't, don't have anything to do with that stuff. Keep your eyes on the word of God and train yourself for godliness. This is, this is where we're going to get in verse 9. He says, uh, verse 7, he says, rather train yourself for godliness. This is the tension that's the opposite side of legalism that says, hey, you get godliness by what you do. If you do these things and avoid these things, then you'll be godly and God will accept you. No, no. He says, because you've been accepted by the, the beautiful and glorious gospel that Micah unpacked for us as we walk through communion, because of that, now you have something to pursue. You have something to, to long for. You have a transformation that's been gifted to you, and, and you get to pursue it and work it out. This is the language that Paul uses in Philippians where he says, you, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's this, uh, and that's not working out your justification, right? Because we don't do that. Only Jesus justifies us, but we're working out our sanctification, right? We're working out this, this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Why would you want to do that? Well, he says, verse 8, bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Okay, so he's saying, listen, you're gonna, if you want to get all that God has for you out of life, you're going to need some discipline. It's not popular in today's world, but you're actually going to need some discipline. You're going to need some structure. You're going to need some habits. You're going to need some form of a plan. If you want to get all that God has for you out of, out of your life, you're going to need some discipline. And so he's saying it's actually not wrong to be worried about physical fitness and physical training and those sorts of things. But above that, you should be pursuing godliness and training yourself for godliness because it has value not just for this life, but actually for the life to come. It has value in every way, he says. So, so here's where we get into how do we, how do we have this culture that is free from legalism and also voraciously pursuing holiness and righteousness, increasingly become more and more like Jesus being guarded against the, the new false teaching of the day. How do we do that? He says, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. This is, there's, there's, an active, like, there's, there's an active participation that we step into. Jesus has saved us and justified us, but this pursuit of, of sanctification and of, of growing in Christ-likeness is something that we do actively. This, this idea of train, it, it's, it's really boiled down. It's like exercise. It's like an application. You're actually getting in there. You're actually doing it. Uh, you're, and so again, it's not about this checklist because he's already condemned that earlier in verses one through five, but it's about this pursuit. And he says, why does it matter? Why should you want, like, and, and this is back to, you know, kind of the boiling down, like, well, we just do marriage because we're supposed to do marriage. We just do religious stuff because we're supposed to do religious stuff. No, no, no. 
remember what we've said is that God doesn't give us commands to steal from us. Okay? God gives us commands to lead us to life. He's a good father. He doesn't just get a kick out of giving us rules and watching us obey. When he gives us his word, he's always trying to show us the way to life. And so we need to do some work to redeem this idea of spiritual disciplines, this idea of, of, of cultivating a relationship with Jesus. Because for some of you, it's been reduced to what feels like a negative or like a punishment. It's been reduced to this thing that you have to do. Okay, I know I need to read the Bible. I know I should pray. But in reality, what he, he's actually he's inviting us to something. But, he's, but at the same time, he's saying, you're going to have to fight for it. So it's, it's not just this, yeah, I know I'm supposed to. It's no, no, I get to, I want to, I long to become more like Jesus, but I'm going to have to fight for it. I'm going to have to, to put in the work if I want to enjoy it. And, and, and so it, it's helpful. Paul actually uses um, the, the, the analogy of physical training. I think it's helpful for us to think about that as well. Because he says we should train ourselves for godliness. And that's helpful too, to know, okay, what is the objective of our training? Okay, here's, here's the takeaway. I want you to leave here today. I'm not, like, I'm going to, just cards on the table. Here's where we're ending. I want you to leave here today with a renewed commitment to reading the Bible and praying. Okay, that's it. There's other spiritual disciplines. They're, they're not explicit in Scripture, so we're not going to go there. We're going to go there in a class um, later. Our, we're, we're, um, our 103 uh, journey class about living missionally, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this. That's coming up, I think, in um, November. But... But for now, I just want, this is where I want you to go. I want you to leave here with a renewed zeal and a renewed excitement and, 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 and hope about reading the Bible and praying, okay? So um, as, as we think about that, as we think about, okay, how, why and what is the objective? Those are both really important things. What's the objective of reading the Bible and praying? Because if we reduce it to this thing that we're just supposed to do, right? How many of you struggle with a quiet time? It feels punitive, doesn't it? Like a timeout, like you're in trouble. Ah, no, I'll let Jesus down. I need to go sit in the corner. And listen, it quite, like, if that's what you call it and it's good for you, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to make fun of it. I'm simply saying sometimes it's been framed in a way that's not actually the life-giving thing that God had meant for it to be. It's not a biblical term, right? But, but what they're getting at is you need to have a regular discipline and a plan and a rhythm and a routine of reading and praying. But, but we, we, like, because of the evil within our hearts, because of the laziness within our hearts, because of the pride in our hearts, we can take something that is meant to be for our good and for our transformation and turn it into something that we actually get our righteousness out of. Or something that we just have to do. And Paul is saying, man, it's not like that, Timothy. You, you get, to, get to train for godliness. So let's start with that. What does it mean to be godly? What is the objective of our training? Well, I, I think it's real simple. You could, you could do a lot of theological unpacking and defining on this, but let's just say to be like Jesus, right? John said that Jesus showed up, he took on flesh, and he was the fullness of God. He, he made what was unknown about God known. He, he took on flesh and he became God for us. And so what does it mean to be godly? It means to be like Jesus. Well, here's a quick spoiler. You'll never get there fully until Jesus, until you see him face to face and he makes you glorified. 
So it's, it's this perpetual thing. It's not just a, a basics, one-on-one discipleship, take this class, and okay, now I'm like Jesus, and I can just live my life and wait for him to you know, call me home. No, it's this, it's this ongoing process of sanctification, becoming like Jesus. So godliness. So, so let's think about Jesus. Let's think about what was he like. Did, did Jesus know the word? Yeah, you bet he did, didn't he? So did Jesus read the Bible? Yeah, of course. Like he was quite familiar with the passages, wasn't he? Did Jesus pray? Yeah, all the time, didn't he? All the time. Uh, did Jesus um, go to church regularly? Yeah. It says that he routinely went to the, like, as was his routine, he went to the synagogue. It's mentioned a couple times in, 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 the, uh, in the Gospels. Okay, so, so is Jesus religious? Ooh, do we need to, is Jesus religious or not? Like, we want to put this idea of religion up as this negative thing. Well, I mean, he does those things, but what does he also do? Does he enjoy the good gifts of God? Yeah. Did you just go to a wedding and enjoy the party? Yeah, they ran out of wine, and he was like, I got you. Let's party some more. Right? Um, does Jesus stay away from sinful people? No, I mean, he's pursuing them. He's hanging out with them. He's having them at his house. So what do you mean? Jesus wasn't condemning sinners of his day? Jesus didn't tell everybody how much God hated them? Well, yeah, Jesus said a lot of truth. But he says he was full of both grace and truth. So the people that were pretty sure already that God hated them because they were real acquainted with their jacked upness. Jesus didn't come in with a sign saying, God hates you. Jesus went in saying, God's come to save you. Come to my table. Does that mean he's not telling them their sin's wrong? No, no, he told them. Your faith has saved you. Go sin no more. You see, so this idea of godliness is not about religious legalism. Neither is it about just this freedom that we don't do anything. So, so that's important that we have this as, as our objective. We want to be like Jesus. So when we're training for godliness, we want to make sure it's doing what we want it to do. Okay, so back to the physical training idea. So it, there's a lot of different diet plans, exercise plans, vying for your attention, Right? Is there still that one that goes around on Facebook where people just show their results, but they won't tell you what it is because they want you to ask what it is? And it's, I don't know if it's a pyramid scheme. I don't know anything about it, but it's just weird to me. Like, just say it. But anyway, maybe it works. Um, there's plenty of like, do this and you'll get fit. Do this and you'll look like that. But even with that, you've got to know what your goal is, right? Because not everybody's definition of fitness is the same. And so if you just want to be skinny, not fat, well, you can deprive yourself of carbs and sugar and everything good, <laughs> right? And you will likely lose fat and be skinny. You can do it that way. But if you then ask your body to do something physical, even like pick up your kids, play with your kids, run to get help, your body may not have what it needs to do that, right? So you might look the way you want to look, but your body might not actually function in a fit way. Does that make sense? Likewise, if you just want to be big and be swole and have people talk about your biceps, whatever, like you, you can do that by just going to the gym and lifting heavy things and eating a lot of protein, and you can get swole. But if you need that body to like, you know, get up out of the floor without groaning, um, run very far, 
do anything that requires mobility, it may not be there. Does that make sense? So you need to know what is the objective of this fitness. Because likewise with scripture, like you might not, like you might come into your pursuit of godliness and you know what, and be like, I just want to be people, I just want to be somebody who loves everybody. You heard somebody say that? I just want to be somebody that I just love, right? Everybody, they don't, they don't know what I'm about. Like, they don't know what I'm against. I don't want to have all this doctrine and this is wrong. I just want to love people. That's what Jesus did. I just want to love people, right? And, and you could do that. You, you can be a person who's spiritual and godly and you, you never take a stand for anything. You never call sin, sin. And, you know, and, and you, can, you can be just kind of flaky and thank God for, for everything, uh, you know, and, and be just kind of this spiritual person. But guess what? If you ever need to like discern a really important matter and you've not studied your Bible at all, you're going to be anemic like that person who hasn't eaten any good food. You might have an appearance that is, is what you were aiming for, but you don't have a function and an ability to say to your kids, yeah, this is God's word and this is not. Yeah, this will harm you and that won't. This is the way to life. Like if you don't have the, the substance to you, if you haven't done that, that sort of exercise and that work to understand, to, to be able to rightly divide God's word, to be able to do, as Paul said here, to have a good, like to be trained in the words of faith and, and good doctrine. Like if you don't have that, you're going to be susceptible to all the, the, the silly myths and other things that come down the pike. And you're going to be like, you know what? That does sound like God. God would love everybody. God would do all of these things. God would, you know, and, and then we're off in a place that God never intended us for to be, and off in a place that Jesus has never gone himself. Do you, do you see the danger? And likewise, if, if you just say, you know what, I want everybody to know how much I know about, about Jesus, then you can be like the meathead in the gym that's just lifting weights because you want everybody to know you're strong, right? And you can have all of the, the Bible verses memorized, and you can, you can have all the truth there, and you can just put everybody in their place, right? You can quote all the scriptures and call out all the sin, you be really well-versed in the truth, but when it comes to actually loving somebody and giving of your life, you might be just as inflexible as that meathead in the gym with big biceps and no ability to, like, you know, bend over and get his kid. So we need to train, but we need to train for godliness. Not for, and really the, the big crux in all that is, are we doing it? for other people to be impressed with us? Or are we doing it to get more of Jesus? Are we doing it to be like Jesus and to make him known? Are we doing it, we could even simplify it further, are we doing it to make ourselves known? Or are we doing it to make Jesus known? Because if we're doing it to make Jesus known, then we're gonna, we're gonna do it in a way where we're seeking transformation. We're not seeking recognition, but we're seeking transformation. So he says, train yourself for godliness. Why? Because it has value in every way. Physical fitness is not wrong. Some of you have realized how important it actually is to your godliness. I am a more godly person when I've done something active. My wife will tell you, like, I just get, I get fidgety, I get anxious, I get grumpy. She's like, have you worked out? No, not in a while. Like, and I'm just anxious. Like, I just need to do something physical or I get, I'm, I'm less godly. So, like, it's not wrong to be physically fit. It's not wrong to, to, to try to be a better version of you. But just make sure that you're not doing, all, like, putting all your energy there because that, that, that only has value here on earth. 
Jesus is not going to be impressed with your fitness when he meets you. And it's just going to get trumped when he gives you your new body. It's just going to be glorified, right? Like, it's going to be awesome. So he's saying, make sure you're pursuing and training for godliness because it, while bodily training is of some value, right, godliness is of value in every way, verse 8 says, as it holds promise for this, for the present life and for the life to come. So what he's saying, when you pursue godliness, you will be a better you now and you will reap more eternal rewards in the future. Okay, so back to being, you know, back to the exercise deal. When it comes to a choice of sleeping in or getting up and working out, or working out or vegging on the couch and, you know, watching Netflix, I bet most of you can relate. You don't ever regret the decision to exercise, do you? You get up and do it. There's always this tension. I don't want to get up. I don't want to do it. But once you do it, and you're glad you did it, right? You're glad. But when you don't, you always regret not doing it, don't you? When you stay on the couch and eat the cookies, right? When you, when you just, you know, sleep in, you're always like, ah, man, I just feel less. Like, okay, that's, that's a lens into the starting point of what it's like to invest in your spiritual transformation. You will never regret spending time with Jesus in the word or in prayer. You'll never regret it. It, it will never be a waste of your time. So again, I told you, what I hope we're leaving here with is, is a renewed zeal to read the Bible and to pray. You need to think about how's that gonna get into your life? Because if I just asked you, like, hey, how much margin do you have? You'd be like, negative 15, I don't even know. I can't even, like, I couldn't even tie my shoes this morning. I just put them on. Like, I don't have time for anything else in my life. We're so busy, so busy, aren't we? Such a busy people. But you need to hear the severity and, and the, um, the depth of this command and opportunity. Listen, I've been around some of you when you've been to the doctor and you've gotten bad blood work back. Cholesterol, blood pressure, things like that. And the doctor says, you got to change your lifestyle or you'll die. Right? It's pretty black and white. Keep doing what you're doing and you'll die. Your heart's not going to be able to handle it. Whatever. Fill in the blank. Right? Now, I've seen some people not care. I'd like to say that that's sobering enough for all of us that we change our lifestyle. But that's a different level of like, oh man, the, 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 the stakes are higher when we think about that in our physical body, aren't they? Like if you don't do this, the cost will be immense. Here, here's the deal. Peter tells us in chapter 5 of 1 Peter that we have an enemy prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
resist him. Stand firm in the faith. You can't resist him if you've not trained. You can't resist him if you don't have any substance to you. You can't resist him if you haven't put in the work. There's, again, there's this tension because Jesus and the disciples, like, he didn't, like, okay, well, here's the mission. We should go and make disciples. That's what he commands the church to do. But he also, he says, go make disciples and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So it's this, get them from death into life, but then teach them and, and help grow them. And so the disciples spent three years with Jesus. But it wasn't three years in a classroom, was it? So it wasn't three years of just learning all this doctrine and then go do the things. It was three years of active learning. It was three years of, hey, come do this with me. Oh, let me teach you about this. Let me correct that. It was this active learning. And so we need to be a people and a church that, that are able to take people from first time hearing about Jesus, receiving Jesus, and then have a pathway to them becoming missionaries and pastors. Because that's the, the command that we're, we're being given, to make disciples. And, and, and to grow them, teach them to obey all they were commanded. So we need to, we need to have a, a posture of like, okay, now we're here, we, we know Jesus, but now we're being transformed by Jesus and then sent out by Jesus. And so we need, to, we need to redeem this idea of like, oh, we're all in training. We're all in training. We're all required to, to be a people who are learning more about God and praying with him. Okay, so again, there's other spiritual disciplines. There's other, there's other like, things we can talk about. I want to keep it really simple today. I want us to think about, okay, reading the Bible and praying. Okay, so... How's that going to play out for you? If you got the diagnosis from your doctor that said, if you don't start exercising 20 minutes a day, your lifespan's short. My guess is you would at least attempt to figure out how you can exercise 20 minutes a day. Even if you don't have time, you're going to look at your calendar and figure out, where do I buy back this time? Where do I get it, right? Let's, like, is Jesus not worth that? Like, have we really met him if we haven't put everything on the table and asked him to, to rearrange, to take off, to purge as needed? Like, that's the, that's the, the kind of, of life change we see in the Gospels. We've made it too easy for people to follow Jesus by just, you know, coming to church and liking something on Facebook or whatever. Like, he, he talks about this radical, like, you want to follow me? Okay, you're going to lose your life. But in the losing of your life, you'll actually find your true life. It, and he says, you're going to take up your cross daily and follow me. So this, this, we need to redeem this idea of spending time training for godliness. So when we train, we have this objective of godliness, becoming more like Jesus, becoming more effective for Jesus, becoming more um, intimate and knowing Jesus. And so that's why we come to this issue of reading the Bible and praying so we can train for godliness, but how are you going to do that? How are you going to get that into your life? Some of you need to look at your calendar. You need to look at your daily schedule. You need to look at your rhythm and, and be creative, okay? So here's a, here's a deal. Here's a pro tip. It actually doesn't have to be at 5 a.m. with a candle and coffee and a fancy journal. It doesn't have to be. It can be. Cool. If that's you, awesome. But it doesn't have to be. I'm convinced a lot of us have had this idea of a quiet time held up to us by church and you've tried it and it doesn't work in your rhythm and your calendar or even in just in your person and so you've given up. You think this is what it means to, to spend time with Jesus so I don't do it. I, I'm not good at that so I don't do it at all. Here's the deal. 
Jesus just was all the time pulling away from people and, and praying. Like Jesus was consistently like surrounded by people, more and more people to heal. And Jesus would be like, I'm going to see you all next time. I got an appointment with my father in the woods. And listen, you think you're busy. You think the things that you would have to give up matter, don't you? You think the things that you would have to change to, to, to get a regular rhythm, that they're, they're really, they're non-negotiables in your life. You've convinced yourself of that. Well, here's the deal. Like, don't you think you could convince Jesus that it mattered more that he healed those people and that those people heard the gospel than him going and, and, and praying for a little while? Like, from a practicality standpoint, you could be like, ah, Jesus, can that wait? Because these people, like, you got a real opportunity here. And Jesus goes, yeah, I know, but this is my sustenance. This is my purpose. If I don't cultivate this relationship, I can't do anything for them. And so you need to understand that you, you won't be any good for anybody if you don't train for godliness. If you don't make space in your life for prayer and Bible reading. So you need, to, you need to figure it out. You need to give your, like, I'm giving you permission. Jesus is giving you permission to change your calendar around, to walk away, to give up. Maybe it is sleep that you have to give up. Maybe it will require an early morning or a later night. Maybe it's your lunch hour. Maybe it's your drive to work. Like, technology is, a, there's a lot of beautiful things about technology. There's a lot of dangerous things about technology, too. There's a lot of beautiful things about it. Like, you can have books read to you. You can have the scriptures read to you. You can... Create a, a worship playlist that, that will, you know, play on your way to work, and then you could read on your lunch hour for a few minutes. There are great tools like Version that I would highly, you know, commend to you that have a lot of different Bible plans that you can pick out and read and work through. The Bible Project is a great tool that will help you walk through the Bible chronologically. It has explanations for each, uh, illustrative explanations for each book of the Bible. It's an incredible tool. You can walk through that. And here's the deal. I actually am not a big fan of going through that in a year. I think it's good about creating discipline, but I also think you miss spending time with Jesus for the sake of just reading Jesus' words. And there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference in just laying your eyes on the words of Scripture and feeling like, okay, I did my thing, versus spending time with Jesus, hearing from Jesus. Okay so, I, okay, so real practically, I would commend to you one of those, like version or Bible Project. Great for plans for just starting to read. I would also give you permission to don't feel pressure from the dates. Don't feel pressure from getting, you know, some of you thrive on that, and that's okay. Knock it out in a year, that's cool. But if, if, if you do that, but you never really grow in your godliness, you've missed the point. Okay? You've missed the point. You're the person going to the gym. You have no functional fitness on the other side of that. Okay? So it's okay if you want to do that. But I would free you from those dates and just work through it. Spend some time with it. Okay? You need to not just read the word, but meditate on it and apply the word. Here's one simple way to do that. Get a journal. Read a little bit less and then write some thoughts and responses about it. Okay? Read a little bit less. Spend some of that time writing some responses about it, okay? version, the Bible Project. You see me afterwards, you forget. They're, they're easy. There's apps for both. It's awesome, okay? So check that out. Spend some time in prayer. Take some of the, the weirdness off of prayer, okay? Like the Bible says you should have times of seclusion in prayer, times of corporate prayer, and that you should pray without ceasing. What does that mean? It really means you should be just in ongoing dialogue with the Lord. 
The Spirit has made it so that you can. It's an incredible thing that Jesus says we should never get over. The fact that we can come into the presence of the living God when we need him and talk to him, like, it's an amazing thing. The, the fact that that curtain is split from the top to the bottom, that we have access, it's an amazing thing. So we get to pray continually. I think you should have some time focused in prayer, but then you have an ongoing dialogue with the Lord. But listen, don't buck at that idea of having focused prayer. Like, was Daniel a legalist? Or did that dude just love God? He prayed three times a day, every day. Everybody knew it. Right? And it got him thrown in the lion's den. Why? Did he do that for the sake of it? No, that's what he'd been doing for years. Everybody knew it. Like, like routine and, and ritual and structure does not equal legalism. It doesn't equal, you know, it shouldn't equal this self-righteousness. It should lead to godliness. So whatever you need to do to create space for that, maybe you need to go on a walk with your Bible instead of sitting at your kitchen table or, you know, in bed, like laying horizontally and trying to pray. That don't work very well for most of us. You're going to be asleep. Maybe you need to go on a walk. Have it read to you in your ears. Maybe you need to, you know, get some noise-canceling headphones and, and tell your family, I'm, I'm going to be gone for 15 minutes, and you go in your closet, literally your closet or your bathroom or whatever, and, and, and just be, like, what, like, whatever you need to do. Like, that's the idea. Just whatever you need to do, do it. Figure that out. Figure that out. Again, we're going to, in November, we're going to go a little bit deeper into the how and some of those, those exhortations, like, how do we actually play this out? But don't overcomplicate it. Get on one of those reading plans. Get a journal and pray. We've preached sermons on prayer before. This is a struggle for me. Like, I, I would rather do some stuff with Jesus and then high five him on the way out. Like, that's just my, my natural bent. Jesus models for us pulling away and praying, pulling away and being alone with God. This leads to a transformation of the world. In us. This leads to a transformed people that are able to have substance to them and an anchoring to them that as the world goes crazy, we stand firm as salt and light. We stand firm as a beacon of hope. But if we don't train ourselves for godliness, we won't be any good to those who are looking for hope. So again, it's not about legalism. It's not about doing the stuff so that everybody notices. You have to work through that. You have to repent of that. But just because you're inclined to that doesn't mean you don't do it at all. You need to pray, confess that, and then make space for your own personal time to read God's word and pray. If you don't know how to pray, like, there's great resources and books on it. There's some little books out there in the lobby. Those are free. You can just read a psalm, like just pray the psalm back to God. Okay? It doesn't have to, like, it doesn't have to be complicated. Commune with the Lord. Listen, God is not calling you to a life of religious burden of stuff you have to do. He's calling you to life, abundant life. And you get to 
Exercise the fullness of it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling as you work with the Spirit of God in this relationship. You train yourself for godliness by opening his word and opening your mouth and praying to him, opening your ears and listening to him. Let's pray. God, help us to hear from you the, the truth of your word, of what it means to train for godliness, what it means that you are a good father who wants good for us, and help us to become a people that aren't just hearers of the word, but actually apply it, actually let it change our life. I pray that you would help us to be freed from the burden of legalism, and I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and, and actually just compelled by the beauty of an invitation to be transformed from one degree of glory to another, to be made like you, Jesus. Would you come and fill our hearts with the faith that will long for that, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness? Would you make us a people? Here today at The Journey, would you make us a people that hunger and thirst for righteousness? And then would you fill us as you promised that you would? Fill us with your word. Fill us with your goodness. Holy Spirit, come and be present and active in this room and in this place. You know the needs, the burdens, the invitations that are here. I pray that you would be magnified and glorified in this time of response. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.